Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 18 of A Yank on the Footy. My guest today is the coach of the very recently successful San Diego, San Diego Lions of the USAFL, Mr. Michael Ross. I'd like to welcome Michael to the show. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having us, Craig. It's it's great to have you. We've been we've been chatting back and forth for quite a while, and I'm glad that we were able to mesh up our schedules here. Un, unfortunately, you have more free time right now than than you want uh, when it comes to to footy. Um, well, you know, yeah, Michael, I suppose that's why we got here, isn't it? Talking, yeah, that's about exactly, all we can do. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. Mouths to good use, so, I suppose. So, so you're coaching the team, and how how many years have you been coaching the team? Uh, no, last year was my first year as coach. Last year was your first year, okay, because you, and you're That's also great. still playing with the team as well. Yeah, and, so I uh, play cameos. You play, okay, okay. You're uh, small cameos. You're, 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 to to use a baseball analogy, you're a pinch hitter. You'll come in and something play for like a few that. Minutes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're you're originally from a a looks like a very small town called Foster in Victoria, yes. which is in the south southeastern coastline there. Um, That's correct. From what I saw, it looked like it had around 1,100 people in the town, so not a very big place. Very small. Um, for for those of us that, that are here in the United States, uh, tell us what it was like growing up in a little small coastal town in Australia. Give us the yeah, give well, us the tour. Yeah, well, um, I mean, those in Victoria, those uh, small towns that go anywhere from say 300 people to a thousand fifteen hundred like scatter the coastline so pretty much you're going to get the same thing in each town but um yeah we grew up as uh, dairy farmers so you're always sort of not even in the small town so um you know uh country football um you know the standard is uh you know quite high a lot of the a lot of the best players are coming out of the country have been for a long time um yeah so i grew up in in and around that area, um, played my junior football there um, pretty much up until um, I finished school. So, um, yeah, pretty much it. So when, when you were a kid, and, I, you know, I, and this is, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the standard question asked, when you were a kid, yeah. did, you ever get an, did you ever get an opportunity to, to see a game at the MCG or what is now Marvel Stadium? Or may, uh, Marvel may yes. not even been built at that point in time. No, I've um, I've actually been fortunate enough. Maybe not when I was a kid, but as um, as a younger adult, um, I've actually been to okay. two AFL Grand Finals, which was which was a very good experience. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, yeah, you know, you uh, you've done a, a lot of traveling, uh, according to some of the information that I, that I was able to get, uh, and your wife provided me with some great information here. And but there was one key element as you traveled around the world, is that the footy had to be nearby. You yeah, were not, well, you were not... um, yeah, it's not quite like that. It was more about where we would settle. If there's anywhere we were right. going to spend a prolonged period of time, I would like to know where the nearest football match, and that wasn't always right, possible. Right. Um, but that was yeah. always on the agenda. Once I landed, I'd do a bit of research or even beforehand. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, um, you know, uh, train and play in a few sort of reasonably exotic locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw on the list that you were at, you played in Bangkok and also in Ho Chi Minh City. That's correct. And uh, that, and uh, what, in Stockholm what, as well. So Okay. Yeah. And, and were you playing with uh, Australian expats there in those um, instances for the most part? Or were they, yeah. were they, okay. Well, uh, depending on where you were, so um, okay. largely uh, when you play football in Asia, it's largely uh, expats, but they are, you know, trying to um, integrate locals into the game, and that's, um, you know, a slow process. But um, some of the clubs are, yeah, getting some locals involved in the game. Um, when I was over in Europe, it's uh, there was more sort of more along the lines of what we have here in the US around 50-50. So okay. yeah. So so you played you played in you played in Thailand, you played in Vietnam, you were in uh you were in Stockholm as well. What That's brought correct. you to Sa what brought you to San Diego? Oh, well, um my connection to San Diego starts uh my wife 
went to college here. Um, so when we decided to move back from overseas, uh, this was the place that she wanted to move to, and I was happy, very happy to come along. Now, is, so, is she from? Yeah. Is she from? Is she from Australia? Or is she from the U.S.? No, she's from. Uh, she's a California born and bred. Okay, okay. So she she it yeah. was a homecoming for her then. All right, so that exactly. that makes sense. All right. Yeah. And uh, I I've I've spent a little bit of time in San Diego. My uh, my grandparents wintered there when I was a kid, and spent a little bit of time there, there when I was in the, when I was in the Navy as well. Um, right. <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, your your team had an extraordinarily successful year last year. I, I was I went through your uh, I went through your uh, your scores of your fixture on the the USAFL site, and uh, I the, the the best word I could describe it was that you guys were a juggernaut last year. The, you know, yeah, the, well, what, you, yeah. You, you yeah, no, a... we had a very, <laughs> um, no, we had a um, very successful year, uh, relatively speaking, in Division Two. I think we went um, in eighteen and three, including the national championship. So um, that's fantastic. The only sort of caveat I'd, I'd put on the success of that team is that you know we have to uh, you know keep it realistic that there was you know eight sides above us in Division One, and you know there's more work to do. So. You know, hopefully, if um, eventually we can get some portion of our season back back on track, we can, um, you know, start uh, working towards, you know, the next eight teams. So, yeah, fingers so, crossed we can get back out out there on the paddock sometime this season. Absolutely. So, for, because I have no idea the answer to this question, what is the difference exactly. between between Division One and Division Two in this in this regard? Um. Look, if you look at the, I suppose, the, the eight teams are generally more established. They'll be successful more often. Um, you know, they historically, um, you know, been there around longer, well run, that sort of thing. But in terms of the actual football, I think the gap has probably bridged, um, is coming together um, between two and one. Um, you know, because okay. we had a, some success against um, LA uh, throughout the season, um, and we lost at regionals by a kick to Seattle in the last minute. So those teams were in Division One. Um, yeah, we got a little bit of a touch up against Golden Gate, but it was a good learning experience for our boys. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a you know, like I said, it's there's something to look forward to there. Terrific, terrific. Yeah, I was I and I don't have that site open anymore. I had a site open earlier that where I saw that you guys were listed as number nine on the uh the chart and I just wasn't sure what the breakdown yeah. was there. So how how long have the uh the Lions been in existence? I think um Lions were I'm pretty sure were at the first regionals. Um okay. it's either the first or second. Um but pretty much one of the, you know, foundation clubs. Okay. And um yeah, so like uh they've been successful two division ones. I think that puts San Diego third in the overall count of championships. Um but yeah, like you know, most clubs will tell you that they, you know, had their ups and downs in terms of participation and success and what goes on with it and we just happen to be on the sort of the upswing at the moment. So hopefully we can um you know, maintain that and and uh and go on to bigger and better things. And and how are your uh, how are your numbers looking looking for your club this year before everything else uh, yes. was impacted? Um, yeah, well, we had we started um, some training. Sort of, we had throughout January and February uh, casual kicks on a Saturday, uh, non compulsory, um, and a lot of guys would turn up to that. We were getting. 20, 20 plus guys to those events. And then um, a very similar number between 20 and 30 to uh, early pre-season. So it just uh, shows success like doesn't hurt when, uh, when it comes to recruiting. Okay. And when you're, when you're, when your club is uh, going to be traveling like you did last year, when you went to Sarasota. Yes. And I, 
Yes. You know, that, that's a bit of a hike getting from San Diego to, to Florida there. How, do, how does that work in terms of the, the finances? I mean, I, I, I know you guys right. are not a professional club per se. Is that all is that all out of pocket for the players to do that or how does that work? Well, I mean, each um, club probably has a different sort of take on it. Um, you know, we saw that as a problem or a, a challenge, sorry, probably not a problem, uh, a challenge early on going, you know, one of the furthest to travel to Florida. Um, so the club made a really uh, big effort to to raise the money that would cover everyone's hotels. So it's not fully covered the cost in terms of people still have to, to fly to Florida and get time off and, and right, whatnot. Right. Uh, but the, you know, club did really well. Um, we stayed at a really nice hotel. We got looked after. And um, I do honestly believe it had uh, some impact on us, you know, being fresh and healthy or relatively healthy comes uh, Sunday for the finals. Well, I, and I, I know I looked at you guys, uh, you played, I think it said three games on October the 13th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's two games on the Saturday and then every team will get a game uh, Sunday morning and then okay. whether you progress to the final okay, so, is whether you get the fourth game. So, so, so yeah, two four so games. Possibly, okay. But four yeah. four games in two days is uh, is uh, what what length quarters do you play in the USAFL? I mean, are they are they twenty, 20 minute quarters? twenty minute halves? Okay, twenty minute, minute halves. halves. So okay, we, so bit, yeah. okay. So realistically, it's two full games across the two days, in, which in two is, days. Un, we, is not done. Nobody does that. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So you you still have to be in great shape. And do they do they allow for? Do they allow for unlimited interchanges then as a result of that? The fact yeah, that we don't – yeah, they uh, we haven't quite got to the, the AFL standard where they okay. have to slow the game down. Okay. Um, so we don't have any limits on the number of interchanges. We, we're only limited on how many plays we can have on the interchange at any one time. So you're allowed six. You're allowed 24 on your, on, on your game okay. sheet there. And the and something I'm thinking about that is in all the well, not all, in all the years in the four years that I've been watching the game I don't mm-hmm. think and I know they keep track of the interchanges I don't think I've ever actually seen that statistic posted on the screen during a game and somebody has to be keeping track of that. You mean our types of games or actual AFL? No, no actual AFL. I've never I've never seen. Oh, no. I've never seen you that. You can yeah. find this. Yeah. You can find the stats on number of interchanges. Yeah, right, right. Definitely, but, they had but, caps on that. Yeah, yeah. But like during the course of during the course of the game, you know, because you'll see, mm. you know, well, this, you know, this person, you know, he's, you know, one goal three, and this person has gained, you know, yeah, you know, sixty-seven yeah. meters so far in the game, and here's the heat map. But I, you would, yeah, I, I, that's just one stat I've never seen show up on the screen before, and it's not really that important, yeah. but. But you know, you get to the mm-hmm. you know, fourth quarter of a game, and you know you can't you can't swap out any players. You know that can be a problem, right? That can yeah. Be, well, yeah. it's about managing it, I suppose. Exactly. Is what they were trying exactly. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so while we're on the AFL, I, I let me. I'm going to go ahead and just ask. Now, who do you barrack for? Go for it. You, uh, I'm I'm a Brisbane Lions fan. Okay. Okay. Now, did that so, did that come as a result sorry. of playing for the San Diego club, or was that a Oh no no no! So Fitz uh, before it was Brisbane Lions, the mer- before the merger, yep. uh, Fitzroy, yep, and uh, Brisbane uh, Fitzroy. If I don't know if you know much about the eighties before the before the draft, uh-huh. there were zones and uh, the lines were zoned to the area we were living in. So that was sort of okay. A lot of the way people picked their team back in the day. Okay. Yeah. So for example, our well, the towns around us were um, aligned with the Lions, and if any good players came out of that area, the Lions would have the first pick. So that's sort of that's how that worked pre-draft days. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I actually did. Uh, I did some research for an episode a while back on that, when talking about the mm-hmm. the the merger with the uh, with Fitzroy and, and Brisbane. Yeah, um, which mm-hmm. and nobody else has seemingly seen the television show, but there's actually a a, sh- a show that's an Australian show that uh, I don't know. If, are you familiar with the actor Guy Pierce? I am very much so. Okay, well he he's doing he's doing a uh, I don't know if it's still on or not, but he had a like a a detective show that he was doing called Jack Irish, and 
Yeah, it, I think I've heard you mention it. Yeah. I haven't seen it though. Yeah, it's yeah, and the three three of the main characters on the show are these guys who are probably in their eighties who sit in a bar all day with their their Fitzroy scarfs on in the present day, <laughs> re- reminiscing right. reminiscing about how things were, you know, twenty right. th- twenty thirty fifty years ago. Um, yeah, I, that that's where I got my Fitzroy history. Um, there you go. So, you know, yeah, well, for a long time, it wasn't uh, pretty much uh, there wasn't that much to cheer about back in the day, to be honest. Right, right. That might have been why that might have been why they were in the bar so much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So, you know, with your, you know, you saying that your your clubs are pretty much, you know, 50 50 between Australian expats and and Americans. Um, have you found, yeah. have you found yourself where you've actually been able to bring on. And do you have a lot of like active duty military that play with your club? Well, actually, we I saw you were writing about this. Um, we did have probably, I would say, six guys okay. who have had some involvement in the military. So, um, uh, guy from Australia, Rodney Weeks, gets a shout out. He's uh, with the Australian Navy, um, and then we had a couple of other guys. Um, who didn't make it to the national tournament came from the U.S. Navy okay. as well, and then a couple of guys working in the military industry. So we do have a you know pretty strong connection. One of our sponsors, I'll give them a shameless plug. Uh, Avex is in um, uh, aerospace engineering, um, which is all connected to the military and that. So there is a strong connection. Okay, and plus, as you probably saw in the Results last year, we got a game against uh, HMAS Brisbane when they docked in San Diego. So that was really good for our boys. Well, I, I wasn't sure what that what that actually meant on that chart. So you you played against the the, the you actually played against the the, the 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 sailors from that ship then. Okay. That's correct. So so I see the score is eighty three to thirteen. Um, That's correct. Who had the eighty three? We had the eighty three. Okay, I just, I'm just checking because I I wasn't sure on that one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yes. They, so they, to be fair they, to those boys, they yeah, they don't get to play that often. Right. Um, yeah, they're busy because you know, they'll spend months at sea. Oh, I, I, um, but when they do hit land and they can make the connection, they like to have a bit of a run. But um, what well, the upside for our guys, you know, and we were to be fair at the peak of our fitness, two weeks away from nationals, so a really disparity in sort of the fitness side of it. But um, their attack on the footy was like top notch and um for our guys to play a team fully of australians um you know it was a fantastic experience for them and uh, a real perfect lead into nationals that yeah that had to be wonderful i i i had a you know i was in the navy myself back in the 1980s and mm-hmm. we had a we had a similar situation not with with this but with softball with you know the right and uh yep we my the first cruise that I was on we we had a a time period where we we were at sea for 121 straight days we didn't see land for four months and right. and we we had left Subic Bay in the Philippines and then we came back to Subic Bay not having seen land for four months and one of the things that they used to do at that at that naval base which was huge was they played softball year round there that was a year round thing that they did. right so we you know we we got back to the uh, yeah, we had a pretty good team from the squadron I was in, and we actually we had you know we entered a tournament there. We hadn't we hadn't seen land, we hadn't picked up a bat, a glove, in four months, and there were yeah. like there were like sixty four teams in the tournament, and we we, <laughs> we finished in second place. We lost to we go. lost to like the base champions, and it was uh it was it was pretty cool to you know because you know here we were not having haven't played in a while, and we we held our own, so it was a, right. It, it was a good time, you know. So. You went to the Nationals, and was this your first trip to the Nationals? No, that would be my fourth trip to okay. the Nationals. Okay, but this yeah. this was your most successful one, though. Um, yes, definitely most successful. Okay. Yes, and what what for? You know, how many teams actually end up at the Nationals? Is it is it mandated that every team go or? No, no, no. So I mean, like you've said. Um, it's all everyone's volunteers at the clubs. The clubs are run by volunteers and some are further along in their sort of development than others. You know, some are very well established, the big, uh, big clubs in division one and two, but, um, you know, there are clubs that are 
you know, just uh, in that sort of embryo phase where it's a few people with an idea to have a kick and hopefully attract more people. So, you know, getting a squad of 18 to 30 players together to travel across the country, especially in the early days, might be might be difficult. Uh, but I think somewhere in between, like, depending on the location of the tournament, between, say, 40 and 50 teams, between men's and women's, Okay. Um, I could be wrong on that, but in that vicinity, you know. So, All right. Yeah. Now, have you, you know, I know that uh, uh, the city of Phoenix has the, the Hawks that you mentioned before, and they all, and I, I saw that yeah. they also have a club called the Outlaws. Yes. Now, do those two teams, those two teams play in two different uh, divisions? Um, I'm not sure. Okay about their situation i think it's yeah but um it all goes on your performances oh, so yeah. theoretically you could be in the same division okay for example at nationals there's anywhere between in the men's side for example four and five divisions depending on the teams so depending on your results and your ranking you may end up in the same but um quite possibly in separate divisions. Cause I was, I, so, yeah. I was just wondering that, you know, had there, you know, other than that one, you know, as, as I had gone through the list of the, uh, the different clubs, mm -hmm. I had not seen any other state or communities that had multiple teams. I mean, have there been instances, yes. have there been instances where there was that, that you remember where there's been a rift or uh, something that happened on a club where a team split or there was enough interest in the game that a second team grew there. Have you have you seen that happen? Um, I well, I suppose the probably the best example is that I I spent some time uh, up in the Bay Area and they've got a uh, a very well formed uh, metro competition with between four and five sides of you know uh, twelve to sixteen aside football. So they've probably got the most organized competition that I know okay. of, um, that I've seen. Um, but not so much recently in terms of clubs that have got, oh, I suppose the the late most recent example is Baltimore, Washington. So that was one club and, you know, um, they got so big that they've split into their separate clubs okay. now. Now they're two separate clubs with um, apparently huge numbers on both sides. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's positive for the game, you know. Now, it... <laughs> If uh, if somebody is is listening to this that's here in the states that has watched has yes. watched the game or, and has you know maybe has, has seen this and thought you know what I played soccer all through school or I I played football or whatever the case may be and you know yeah. what advice would you give to them to try to get a you know a club going in their in their community what what's the best advice you well have yeah. Them? Oh, I, I've thought about this and like listening to the different people talking on your show and others that um, I honestly don't know how the people who start a club from scratch actually do it and maintain it in those early days, trying to cobble people together to do all sorts of tasks. It must be tremendously difficult. I thought my job was um, challenging enough when it was, um, you know, the base is already there and you're trying to improve it. But starting from scratch is very hard. Um, all I could say was um, if you are the local and you're obsessed with the game and you wanted to start your own team, would be to find um, some, even if it's Australians not to play, but to just tell, you know, give you more information about how clubs work and, you know, what people are looking for at the club and things like that, because it's, that's half the battle, um, you know, is showing that you've got something really worthwhile doing. And if they give it a chance, they'll, you know, and you've probably heard it said on your show where once people get, you know, have a real go at it, they addicted. So, um, you know, you've got to get into that, but very hard uh, to start from scratch. And I, I honestly, I don't think I have all, uh, had the answers. No, that's okay. Yet, that's, so. it's, that's yeah. all right. Um, now, as far as as far as your own team, you know, because as you said, you have you have yes. turnover where you know people you know might transfer, leave jobs, might you know have families where they realize they don't have the time to devote to it that they can. When it comes time to, when yeah. it comes time to replenish your team, what what do you, 
how how do you go about uh, recruiting and uh, and retaining the players that you have so you can continue to build that? What are some of the things that you do? Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose for us, it's um, you know part of it is the is luck. You know, the people who arrive in your city arrive in your town. We were very lucky enough. Um, a guy walked in off the street on Anzac Day. Uh, Michael Coffey went on to win our best and fairest goal kicking and one of the best, I think, best player at the tournament at Nationals. So that's a guy who just walked in off the street. But for our benefit, and he, like some others, instead of being in town for one or two years and moving on, uh, we've, we're our core group are uh, relatively young. And, um, you know, we're going to get at least a sort of three, four, five-year commitment out of most of them. So, and plus we have a sort of a large base of people who are, you know, basically local now, whether they're Australian or not, in terms of they're married um, and they're settled here. So we're in a pretty good place like that. But um, going forward, we, oh, I, we understand that those players most likely will turn over eventually, whether it's in one or two years or three or four or five years. But so the, I think the challenge for us while we're enjoying some success is to sort of to recruit locals to the game and work on bringing up their standard. And I think we've been pretty good um, at, at sort of converting sort of some interest into players who want to hang around, you know, stay at the club and, you know, be a part of it going forward. Okay. That's, I, the, the, it almost sounds like it had to be destiny. If uh, you said his name was Michael Coffey, correct? That's correct. And he showed up on Anzac Day. That, that on Anzac that, Day. That's that, that is like destiny right there. That's like a movie script, right? Yes. <laughs> well, I could. And and uh, to his credit, to his credit, uh, he had been at the um, the Anzac Day dawn service here in San Diego. Plus, had a few drinks afterwards, but yet still turned up to training. So that was a fantastic wow. effort and a sign of things to come. Huh. Mm -hmm. huh. Um. So you know, as somebody who's been involved in the game here in the states, and you you've been in the states for how long? I know you said you've been uh, playing for like twenty eight years, uh, or twenty eight twenty nine years. Correct. Um. In this, I first came here. Um, and playing football first came in about 2010 probably didn't get the chance to play football till about 2012 and then on and off but uh i've been here full time since 2017 okay so, so only a couple bits okay. and pieces but it all adds okay up. so since you you've, you've been involved with the club for a couple of years and where do you see where do yeah. you see footy in the united states right now and where do you see it in a decade yeah, well, I actually, um, you know, I sent you some uh, links of the stuff that I've been reading, which I've had too much time on my hands uh, to do, which we all have, right, I suppose. Right. But uh, look, I, I, I think, I suppose, in terms of the clubs that are successful, it's, you know, whatever that means for your club is to take that next step, whether it's, you know, recruiting enough interest and plays to have a reserve side or a, or uh, get interest for a woman's side or, um, uh, you know, even junior football or things of this nature, we should always be thinking bigger, you know? Um, so getting clubs, things like getting the arrangements for fields and stuff like that, uh, better organized and coordinated. So there's a lot. Look, the, the standards always improving from, you know, the last sort of 10 years of the game. Um, even to a point where the top end is sort of it's sort of breaking away at the middle um, and not in a bad way. It just means that the good sides are doing things right and it's up to the ones who are following behind, us included, is to work out, you know, that's our challenge to work out what they're doing um, and see if we can uh, bridge see the gap. See if you so can join them, yeah. That's the challenge going forward. Okay. Exactly. Now, last year was your, you know, your first year as a coach. Um, Yes. What did you uh what did you find to be your biggest challenge as a coach in your first year doing that? Probably uh time management. Um uh, trying to be I was never as a player I was always a little bit fashionably late. Okay. Um and having to break that side. So redefining early 
for me uh, because, for example, if you were there, I, I like I like that line. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna write down redefine early. So as I was saying, what what do you what did you see as your biggest challenge? You said that time management, re, redefining redefining early. I as as a teacher exactly. as a teacher, I like that statement right there. That's gonna that I, I in my right. I, in my classroom I have uh, like 450 quotes hanging up on the walls on eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. Yes, I, I may I, you may you may oh, you may get. You may get a quote up on the wall with that, with your name on there, with that statement there. Wow. Redefine early. And you'll have to. I, li- I like that. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to uh, take a photo and uh, we'll put it up. I on like the page. that. That is great. So, what what did you then find to be easier than you thought it was going to be as a coach? What what did you go? Oh, this is. I looked at that. I no, I so I I looked at that question and I thought I don't think anything was. Okay. It was either at the level you would expect or more difficult and more often more difficult was in, you know, more time intensive or, you know, something like that. So, you know, adjusting from being a player where it's just about you and then player coaching where you've got to still get yourself organized somewhat, but you're also looking after all the other boys. So, you know, getting sort of there early and not early for a player, early for a coach, which is usually an hour before the players. So, yeah, that was tough for me, but uh, we're, you know, hopefully uh, improving all okay. the time. All right. Uh, now, you, uh, you you said that you have a lot of people who are kind of on the, you know, the board and who are volunteers. So do you, you have people who are involved with, do you yes. have people who are involved with the club that aren't actually players that are, that are helping out with the club's progress as well? Yeah, we've, um, we, last year we did, uh, one of the guys who was sort of um, instrumental in recruiting me or um, getting me involved to coach um, was a uh, sort of an ex-player. Um, and we've had a couple of guys who have sort of, you know, passed through the club, still, you know, live and that in San Diego and they uh, on the board. But at the moment, I think it's basically mostly current okay. players. So the boys, yeah, very, some of the boys who weren't involved or were newer to the club last year, they've sort of stepped up and, you know, our board's grown this year in numbers and, uh, and hopefully and quality as well. So yeah, hopefully uh, it's going to be a big year, hopefully on and off the field if we can I was going to say hopefully there. we can, hopefully if you can get back out there and play cuz that was going to lead me to my my question about you know 2020 has not been very kind to anybody uh no. from, you know from a sport you know from a humanity standpoint but then from a sports standpoint and what we're talking about here you know with with the the virus being what it is it is the league realistically thinking that they're going to be able to even have a season this year or are they thinking this just may be a lost cause. Well, I mean, I'm not privy okay. to those discussions which are probably going on uh, at the moment. I think the next update is on the 5th okay. of May and uh, the league will come out with sort of like their sort of update on where we're all at. Um, I've been having a look at the scheduling and the, the original, or the last update said that the the goal was to be able to have six weeks of preparation before regionals. Now that was set to be in um, early or okay. June, early now, July. Um, as far as yeah. your schedule is concerned, does, is each club responsible for creating their own schedule before the regionals and the, the, the nationals? I mean, so do you decide, do you go ahead and craft your schedule to who you're going to play against? Okay. Yeah, so if you're looking for parallels, it's a bit like the college football oh. system. The teams go and organize their own schedules and the league, if we want to, you know, USAFL to NCAA, they set up the national tournament, the regional tournament. So those dates are sort of set in stone pretty early on. And then outside of that, clubs can play as many or as few, um, can, you know, set up okay. their own schedule, however Terrific. they want. Like. Terrific. I had, I had no yeah. idea how that worked. I mean, you know, we have... We, you know, we've got four yeah. clubs here in the state of Ohio, so it's uh, and the, the closest yes. one is about an hour away. I've not, I've not been there before. I've tried to get in touch with some of them to, to talk to them, yeah. but I've not. Yeah, 
Yeah. Hoping to still get, get back to them though. Yeah. But, yeah. We. Yeah. So what usually happens and on a sort of like throughout the season, we're very fortunate enough that we've got um, great competition up the road in Orange County in Los Angeles within, you know, two or three hour drives. So we get good oppositions every other week. Um, so, and plus, you know, Golden Gate isn't too far away and, uh, uh, Arizona, we've got a good relationship as well. So they often come over to play us and ask them. So we're very lucky in sort of our geography. Um, some clubs, it's a bit more difficult to get close games, but generally that's the way the, the seasons work. The, the teams nearby will play off in, you know, all different formats across the country, depending on where. Uh, clubs are at development wise now i I know that last year at the nationals Mm. and i i only i watched a little bit i don't even remember which game i was watching um espn3 which i i know i no longer have on my television anymore because we uh uh we had uh we do the i don't we do the streaming on our television we don't have cable or satellite anymore we do it all through the internet and the the we used to have playstation view which carried um which actually had like six channels of of the the nationals going on at that time, and they were showing all sorts yeah. of different games. But it was it was a little disappointing at the time because they were they only had a camera right on the sideline, so you couldn't get any you couldn't get any yeah. couldn't get any like three dimensional look at what was going on on the field, and and you 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 know and some yeah. of the stuff that you had jotted down before we got going today is you talked about how they were. And I, I haven't looked at the link yeah. yet, but you said that there were they actually had drones, they had drones with cameras that were out that were actually doing the you know covering the game. Well, that's, that's something you're looking. Yeah, well, that was a, that was no, that was uh, that came about. That was one of our uh, regular uh, SoCal Cup games against Orange County. One of a one of our players, uh, Matt Muller, who's now on our board. Um, he said, "Oh." How would you feel about me uh, filming the game with a drone? I said, mate, go for it. And um, yeah, so that was something we just tried. Um, I'm not saying that everyone should try that, but um, I think the results are well, really would, good. Um, and with Luke, I think it would be, yeah. it would, you know, if you were able to get the games on YouTube to get them on, uh, you know, Facebook Live, that type of thing. Um, to where yeah. more Americans can see the game, which might then recruit people wanting to play or people wanting to be, you know, supporters of the clubs to come out and actually watch the games here. Just, have, just, you know, right. You've, you've been in the United States for a while here. So you've, you've probably watched some American sports and you've watched, you've watched the, you've watched the AFL. Yes. Yeah. The camera, the camera, we're, yes. you know, we're accustomed to seeing that camera angle kind of from above. So you can see, you can see, yes. more, you can see the things the happening. Happen. I mean, that's, you know, uh, one of the things, one of the things this year with yes. the AFLW games that when they played at some of the smaller parks, you know, the stands were not very, were yes. not very tall. So the camera angle was at very low angle. So you, you yes. didn't see that depth at all. So I think that would be, it would go a long way. You know, if ESPN is going to, is going to cover the games again this year to, to just rent a bucket truck and put a guy with a camera up in the bucket, at least, if nothing else. Like that would be. Yeah, I actually, I saw a, I, I came across a video on YouTube uh, from one of the old nationals. I want to say like 2006, 2007. And they did have that, the scissor lift. Right, I actually right. made a comment on Facebook about um, how their media game was so strong and looked like they have the control room and everything. But uh, I'm not sure how that part of it, works but yeah the angles that you can get from a drone or you know that elevation um hence the why they you know do it right. in major competitions because right. you can watch the game unfold from a different angle but uh look i mean there are a lot of a lot of games um you know if you go to the usafl youtube channel a lot more of the games are being filmed you know there's a you know a larger body of work being created every year that people can sort of um you know i think i've heard talking about on this show maybe the you know back in the 80s the espn late night rabbit hole that people exactly. found afl on um you know why i can't imagine why this wouldn't be the same if there was enough content out there uh people are going to start coming across it and go what's this and hopefully exactly check it out exactly that would be fantastic yeah um so have you 
you mentioned that you have a couple of sponsors. I mean, have they been, you know, have you, is that something that, that, that you've had to, to go out to them or you have groups that are, that are looking to, to help out with this club, this game, because they, they have an interest in the game itself. Yeah. Well, um, like the two sort of major sponsors that, um, um, I mentioned Avex and, uh, Kitchen Fifth and Avenue, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, a bar and tap, but most footy clubs will have a bar relationship. Um, we're just trying to sort of take ours to the next level and turn it into the de facto clubhouse. Okay. So, um, you know, they've been really good with allowing us to put our games on TV and, you know, put the nationals on TV and the AFL finals on TV and stuff like, um, a lot of bars won't do that when there's, you know, um, NFL games and right. basketball games on and etc. So, so are they, yeah. are they kind of the, are they kind of the, the, the footy bar for San Diego then? Is that if you're, if you're an Australian and you want to go to a bar and watch a footy game, that's the place to be. Well, I mean, uh, we've okay. got to make it okay. that way. Um, it's a really nice little um, community bar, and um, I think they—it's a uh, New Orleans Saints supporters bar as well. So there's—it's definitely a sports bar type um, situation, but uh, with you know a good family atmosphere, and uh, you know they really look after us there. But yeah, so. But recently, we haven't had a lot of sponsorship. Uh, a lot of the funds have been raised from uh, the Jews from the players and the club, uh, you know, made it a point to to sort of try and lessen the load financially on players. And hopefully that could either attract more players to the game or take, you know, pressure off your current group and allow them to sort of perform a bit more. You know, they can make more games or whatever if the cost isn't so high, as in, as we spoke about with the hotels and nationals i do think right, it had an right. impact or does have and an impact. i uh i'm i'm going to take a second here and look this up cuz i want to make sure that i get it right i think that the that the game here in the states is is i think geared for some growth because you know i i'm i'm talking to a handful of people in the usafl i mean i i'm I, I've never I've never been to a USAFL yep. game before, but I've interviewed a handful of people because I, I want to help you expose you know expose yep. the game to people who are listening to this show, even in, even if they're people in in Australia listening, because about sixty percent of my listeners are from Australia. Yeah, and I you know I'm, I want to have them know yeah, and right. realize that you know what we give a darn about this game over here, but you know we have we have you know yeah, a couple. Right. Um, podcasts that have gone specifically or be have been created specifically for the USAFL. You know, you've got, you were on one, you were on one recently with, uh, with Wayne and with Rick on the outside 50 podcast. And then just in the last, yeah, the last month or so, um, Brian Barish, who's involved with the USAFL started a podcast called Marks and Stripes. That's devoted. That's devoted to the USAFL as well. So, you know, there are, there are avenues yeah. out there to, to, to sell the game or to promote the game, if you will, to people here in the States. So, I mean, and For those sure. are things that were not around, you know, even this time last, exactly. Three months exactly. ago. Cause you know, mine is, all, you know, well, there's, we a, there's actually podcasts. a fourth one as well. That's here in the States. Uh, um, there's a young lady in New York city, uh, who does one called AF, AFL obsessed. And, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm rather envious okay. because she was, she was in Australia fairly recently. And, uh, you know, before, the, before the lockdown, she, uh, yeah. I think she, I don't know if she got to a game, but she was in Perth for a while. Um, yeah. So she's, she's okay. really into the game as well, but yeah, you know, there are, there are, oh, there are avenues to promote the game here. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think that that, that bodes well for it going into the future. And, you know, and who's to say that this can't be, you know, something that that begins to rival, you know, who knows, 10, 15 years from now, maybe maybe this is rivaling the MLS on television. It could could certainly happen. You know, it it definitely could. It could definitely happen. For sure. So, you know, I I don't know. I'm 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 excited about it. Now, I, I. 
this I've I I'm headed head over heels in love with this game. It has been something that is, you know, it's supplanted pretty much any other sport that I'm watching. You know, I'll still watch the Cleveland Browns. You know, I'll I'll watch it. Uh, you know, but I, yeah. you know, baseball is not being played right now. But I didn't. You know, the last few years I've not watched nearly as many baseball games as I normally do because I'm watching footy instead. You know, so it's been it's been a uh, yeah, it's been a a great discovery for me. And uh, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to talk to uh, to folks like you who who love this game and want to to bring it to more people, whether they're, you know, whether they be expats or whether they be Americans who are learning the game for the first time. I think that's, that's a great, that's a terrific thing. Yeah. You know, so I, um, I didn't know if you had any other, um, things that you wanted to close with. Cause I think we've covered everything that we had on our list. Well, all I would say on that uh, topic, um, I mean, those things like the increased exposure, the more games that get onto things like YouTube and other, you know, avenues, you know, more people are talking about footy, like you said, three to four podcasts in the, you know, in the recent past when there was zero six months ago. So, you know, I really think we scratch the service with the the things we can do with the game. Um, you know, clubs can all, you know, everyone, no matter what your position is, you know, whether you're winning or losing, should always be looking to do it a bit better next year, whether that's get a better team together or raise more money or become, you know, more professional at board level, whatever it is, you know, recruit more volunteers. Um, you know, we can all do that. And if everybody's pushing toward that goal, uh, you know, hopefully the game will grow in leaps and bounds and, uh, you know, one day become, who exactly. knows, who knows? Uh, but the best version of itself in this country, because I think there is a, there's an appetite for it. If you look at our game, and I, you know, I must admit I'm obviously biased, haven't played all my life, but objectively it's a good game to watch. And if, you know, people can get around that they don't understand it from the beginning, um, you know, and you're a fantastic example of this, that if they give it a chance, yeah. um, they'll be hooked for life. So if we can tap into that a lot more, we can grow this game. Well, I, want, I want to correct you on one thing there. You said it's a good game to watch. I think you're flat out wrong there. I think it's a great game to watch. I don't think it's good. I think it's. I think, it, well, I think it's great. Be, uh, diplomatic. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah. So I, I you know, I, I want to, you know, those of you who are listening, I, you know, I do want to point you to the, uh, the, the, the Lions website, uh, SanDiegoLions.com. You can check out their website. They've got pictures there from the, the national championship there, and uh, information about the Lions and about the game itself. Um, you know, I, I'm thrilled that you were able to, to join me tonight, Michael. Um, and ladies, you bet. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having absolutely. Me. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd, I'd like to thank my, my guest tonight, uh, Michael Ross of the San Diego Lions of the USAFL. And Michael, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. And, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you enjoyed your time here tonight. And, you know, we're going to definitely. Yes, sir. No, I'm uh, really enjoying it, uh, talking about the game. Uh, it's uh, aiding my sanity during the lockdown, and um, yeah, keep doing what you were doing. Uh, get the word out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Grow. Alrighty, well, thanks again very much, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, I honestly cannot tell you how humbled I feel knowing that you're tuning in to listen to my show. I cannot thank you enough. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider sharing it with your friends. You can find links to the show in the show notes. Or they can find it by putting a yank on the footy into their favorite search engine. It's available on pretty much every single podcast hosting platform out there. Don't forget that while you can find all of the episodes of this podcast on a yank of the footy.podbean.com, as I mentioned, you can find it at your favorite podcast provider. Now that you've listened, I'm hoping that you would consider giving me a review on the podcast host that you're using. It lets me know what I need to work on and what I'm doing well. And it lets the podcast host know what you think of the show. And I would love for you to consider reaching out to me at a yank on the footy at gmail.com and on Twitter at yank underscore on, as well as on Facebook and on Instagram at a face, excuse me, at a yank on the footy. Also, I would like to thank Mr. Joseph McDade for the use of his music. I'm using two pieces in this episode. Mr. McDade creates some fantastic music, and I'm using the pieces Elevation and Winter's Mist. 
I thought Winter's Mist fits much better at the start of each episode now that the season is, is suspended. Once we get back into playing footy again, I will definitely go back to my original intro music backplate. You can reach Mr. McDade at josephmcdade.com music. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Mr. Michael Ross of the San Diego Lions for being my guest for this episode. Don't forget you can check out the team at sandiegolions.com. While many of us are fans of our team, deep down we are fans of a game that we all love, and that's the game of footy. And ladies and gents, as you know, we are at a strange point in the recent history of mankind. I hope that you and your family stay safe. I hope your social distancing is going well. I hope that you're able to take the proper measures to protect yourselves against the virus. Be tolerant of one another. Be kind to one another. Care for each other. We're all in this together. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you, and I ask that you share this podcast with your footy-loving friends and family, and may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. This has been episode 18 of A Yank on the Footy, and my guest was Mr. Michael Ross, the head coach of the San Diego Lions. Don't forget that you can reach me at yank underscore on or at ayankonthefooty at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at ayankonthefooty. Again, thanks for listening, and please consider sharing the podcast with your friends and family. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye.